it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Corey for episode 26 of the podcast. Um, Matt can be found on Twitter at his lovely Twitter handle, at MattyMatty2000, if you want to follow him. You can follow me at, at DevJake, but most importantly, um, this is a playoff podcast, Matt. Exciting. Yay! Yeah, Red Sox in the playoffs. Happy, happy day. Yeah, we sort of figured this was coming for the last few weeks, but, uh, you know, since the last time we did the podcast, they did actually clinch. Uh, ended up with 93 wins on the season, just one short of what I predicted preseason, but, um, you know, still pretty good. Uh, they limped into the playoffs a little bit here, having lost five of their last six, uh, following the 11 game win streak, and unfortunately weren't able to get that number two seed, giving them home field advantage through the playoffs. Um, but even with the three seed, they're still playing an Indians team that uh, looks pretty beatable at this point. So uh, everything, all the excess stuff is kind of done. Poppy's ceremonies are over. Everybody's healthy. Sox look pretty ready to roll. So what we're going to do today is just break down this series from every statistical measure possible uh, until you find people out there who we think is going to win. And uh, no surprise, uh, Probably we're going to tell you the Red Sox, but you already knew that. Um, can, can I uh, can I interrupt you for a second and uh, take issue with the term limp into the playoffs? Sure. Do you mind? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that they won 93 games. So uh, 
I I don't see that as, as limping into the playoffs. They did lose five of their last six, but as you noted on the show notes here, which, by the way, are very comprehensive, and I thank you for that, They that came uh, on the heels of an 11-game win streak. Uh, so going 12-5 and five is actually not that bad. Um, it just depends on, you know, when you, when you look at it. And I would also point out that um, it's not like the Red Sox pulled out all the stops in those last six games. They... Uh, you know they they were not uh, they were not under the gun and they did not behave like they were under the gun. So yeah, th- th- those 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 are very fair points. Uh, a lot of starters were pulled in the fifth inning or so when they probably could have gone a little bit farther and sure. uh, a lot of arms were experimented with in the bullpen. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It wasn't like they needed this. I think the biggest thing is sort of I mentioned that everybody's healthy on this team and. Yeah. That was really the most important thing going in is because they're facing an Indians team, which we'll discuss in detail in a second, but that's pretty wounded. And I think they kind of knew that this was going to be their opponent. So whether or not they have these, you know, two games at home or three games at home, um, the results are still probably going to play out pretty similar. So let's go ahead and uh, get started with uh, the, the notion of them actually being on the road. The Red Sox are an excellent road team this year. Um, best in the American League at 46 and 35. Um, the two starters that are slated to go on the road are Rick Porcello and David Price. So that's a good thing for going on the road as well. Um, but the first things I want to do is, is actually break down the offenses of these two teams. Because when I did that today pre-show, um, what I found is a little surprising. Obviously, we know that the Red Sox offense uh, is a juggernaut. It's one of the better offenses that they've had in many, many years, even better than the 2013 championship offense by uh, simply runs scored. And I believe they're right up there in terms of true average and weighted runs created plus as well. Um, But the surprising thing that I found was that the Indians were actually second in the American League at 777 runs scored. It's still 101 fewer runs than the Red Sox scored, uh, but an impressive number in its own right. And maybe the most impressive thing about this Indians offense was the 134 stolen bases uh, that the team has that leads the American League. Yeah, I I think um, there is a, a hmm. well, I don't know if I want to make the argument that the Indians are, Indians are better than the Red Sox. I wouldn't make that argument, but I, I think they're, are uh, some people who uh, are underestimating the Indians um, offensively um, and probably defensively too. I, I suppose we're gonna, I, I assume we're gonna get to that at some point. But absolutely. Uh, but uh, offensively, they are not that far behind, at least in terms of you know the the sort of underlying metrics. I mean, the, the run scored thing is is you know, a big difference. And I think the Red Sox do have an advantage when it comes to offense, but, um, but the Indians have a really good hitting team. Um, they probably don't have the, um, you know, the, the big middle of the order that the Red Sox do. Um, they're, they're more, um, you know, measured, I guess you'd say. Um, they don't have anybody who really jumps off the, the page. I guess their, their best hitter is sort of in Tyler Naquin, who um, is 25, um, and I don't think they were really expecting him to hit as well as he's hit. 
But yeah, for a while there, Naquin was projecting as a fourth outfielder type player before he kind of figured it out this year. So that's been a pretty cool story in its own right. Yeah, and they they've had a couple of those stories. Um, Jose Ramirez is a, is a similar um, story for them. Uh, he sort of bounced up and down the last couple of years. He's still real young. I think he's twenty four, twenty three. Um, but he he's I think their regular third baseman at this point, and um, he's he's hit really well this year. The last couple of years, uh, he's not hit well. Um, yeah, so he. I don't, he... He is having a very good year, though, by by war and a bunch of other stats. Uh, even just traditional slash line, Jose Ramirez has been uh, a very pleasant surprise for that team that they couldn't have really banked on preseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think you know Naquin and Ramirez stepping forward like that, you know, were were sort of big keys to uh, to the Indians, um, and and maybe another uh, one was was signing Mike Napoli. Um, you know, that was kind of a hole for them before, uh, at first base, I guess, uh, well, sort of first base DH because Carlos Santana was playing first base before, I think at least, at least a little bit, but, um, but now they have, you know, a much, uh, deeper lineup with, uh, with Napoli in there. So, um, and we've all, we've all seen what Napoli can do in Fenway Park, those beautiful, majestic home runs, uh, which are so wonderful when he's wearing a Red Sox hat and so not wonderful when he's wearing the hat of a different team. We've seen both of them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this is a, a pretty strong lineup. Um, and uh, I, I don't think this is necessarily going to be now I should point out that, you know, in a five game series, literally anything can happen. I mean, the, you can have either team sweep and it's really not that bizarre. Both teams have lost three games in a row um, to teams uh, that they have, you know, been demonstra- demonstrably better than over the course of the year at some point. So if that happens, that happens. Um, not that that we would be happy at that, about that, but uh, but it could happen. So, but I think as far as you know, a comparison of the two teams offensively, I think it's a little closer than people are um, are saying. It's it's not as giant an advantage for the Red Sox as uh, as people might think. Yeah, well, it is the largest run differential um, to to lead a league by since the Red Sox of 1950. So 101 runs scored better than the second-best team is pretty substantial in its own right. And I agree that this is a pretty good offense. And um, arguably, you can say that the uh, the ownership and uh, the the management did a really good job that uh, they addressed that weakness that Cleveland had from last year uh, where they – scored just 669 runs in 2015. They still pitched pretty well that year, but uh, scoring run, runs was the problem, and they certainly addressed that here in the offseason and, and got that whole thing together, and you mentioned a lot of the reasons why. Um, but <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, though, um, who do you think have been the most important players on this Indians club? You mentioned Naquin. You mentioned Jose Ramirez. Do you think those two guys are the biggest reasons why – um, the club has been able to make this turnaround? Uh, I think they're two of the big reasons. I, I think the other probably, um, well, pitching, you know, they, they have uh, obviously had, I should say, a very strong starting staff. The, the other guy I was going to point out um, offensively and defensively is, is Francisco Lindor, who is all of 22 years old and, um, you know, was an all-star Um his defense, um, you know, grades uh, across the board as as 
well, well above average. Um, and he's he's a, a hitter of comparable quality at this point to Xander Bogarts. Maybe not quite the power that Bogarts has, although their numbers this year are are pretty similar. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I think that's uh, that's a big difference too um, with. Uh, them having a, a, a shortstop, a, you know, an above average uh, shortstop who can contribute, you know, on the bases uh, defensively and, and offensively also. Um, but then you get to, you know, they're, they're pitching and that's, that's both where we see, um, you know, the, <laughs> where, where they sort of uh, ran away with things this year. Um, and, where the oddly enough, you know, where their Achilles heel is. Um, I think if, if you look at the teams, uh, you know, starting whatever it is, starting eight, um, you know, starting nine, including DHs, I think there's a, I think it's really close. Um, but when you, you know, and then you throw in bullpen and I think, you know, with the, I don't know about you, but I, I'm terrified of Craig Kimbrell at this point. So maybe I am underrating him. But uh, but I think I think the total package is really similar for both teams in terms of overall quality. But but when you get to the starting pitching, that's when things start to fall apart for Cleveland with with the injuries they've had to uh, to Salazar and Carrasco, um, and now Corey Kluber is not even going to start the first game of the series because he has an abdominal strain. Is that what it is? Corey Kluber. Yeah. Uh, he's going to go the second game. He had a groin right. strain. Yeah. Right. Groin strain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. he, he missed, um, I don't know, 10 days, 12 days at the end of the year there. And there was some question about whether or not he was going to be uh, healthy enough to pitch at all. Um, and, you know, they've held him out of the first game. So you kind of have to wonder how healthy he is to begin with. I guess we'll see. Right. Um, but uh, but right now I think the Red Sox have a have, have a substantial edge you know, with uh, with the way that their starting pitching has been um, been going with with Price and, and Porcello and you know uh, Buckholtz and uh, and Eduardo Rodriguez, all those guys have been pitching pretty well. Um, and the the you know the offense that they're going to face is a good one. The Red Sox offense is going to face lesser starting pitching. Right, so and even it's going to be easier in that way. Even with that, even with if the Indians were full strength, I think the most telling stat about this Red Sox team from an offensive perspective has been uh, how well they've performed against power pitchers, pitchers throwing 95-plus, you know, the aces, the elite pitchers in the game. Um, The Red Sox are number one in the league across the board in every offensive measure against good pitching, and you need – offense that can hit good pitching in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, a few other metrics that the Red Sox are first in, they're first in team average, they're first in on-base percentage, they're first in uh, slugging percentage, they're first in contact percentage, they're a very contact-oriented club, um, they're first in weighted runs created plus. Uh, baseball prospectus stats, uh, true average actually has them as the sixth best club in baseball offensively. Um, and likes Cleveland significantly less than weighted runs created plus does. They let, they, uh, have them all the way down at 23rd, uh, in true average. So I think this is 
unquestionably an advantage for the Red Sox is the offense. I mean, the, the Indians have succeeded in having a better offense, but um, this is pretty clearly a, a check mark in the Red Sox favor. But let's get to that pitching that you discussed here, because there have been a few developments for the Indians that haven't been particularly positive this year. Um, especially as of late, you mentioned the Kluber injury that they had. Uh, it wasn't a huge scare, so that's okay. Uh, Salazar was down. I believe he was the one with the shoulder trouble. Um, he may or may not come back this season. Carrasco broke a finger. He's probably completely out for the rest of the season. Um, certainly neither of those guys are going to play in this upcoming series. That means that the game one starter is Trevor Bauer. Um, but I wanted to talk about... Um, some stats about these particular teams. Uh, the Indians, um, for the entire season, um, have been a pretty good pitching team. Uh, in terms of DRA, deserved run average, the Indians are at um, 370 starter ERA. I'm sorry, um, they are at 363 DRA for the year uh, in terms of uh, that deserved run average. So that's the best in baseball. The Red Sox, in comparison, are at 399, which is sixth best in baseball. Uh, CFIP has the Indians, again, as the best team in baseball in terms of pitching at 90. Uh, the Sox are 11th at 98. So 100 is average with CFIP, which is a predictive measure. Um, but this, as of late, has changed a little bit. And the, the thing about DRA and CFIP is you can't split those stats up into first half and second half. So I'm going to go with more traditional ERA here to make the case that the Sox are actually just as good a pitching team right now as the Indians are. Um, in the second half of the season, the Indians have pitched to a 4-11 ERA, which is the 17th best in baseball. Um, the Sox, by, on contrast, have a, the second best mark in baseball at 350 in the second half. Um, the real trouble for Cleveland has come in that starting p pitching area uh, where they've posted a 458 ERA in the second half versus 365 for the Sox, who have been tremendously better. Um, both bullpens have been excellent in the second half, but the Sox still have the nod there as well at 3.14, which is the second best or I'm sorry, third best uh, ERA in the bullpen for the second half. So I realize I just threw a lot of numbers out there for you people. But the bottom line is that this huge advantage for uh, the Cleveland Indians is no longer a huge advantage. And especially if we're going on what have you done for me lately and who do you have available to you right now, um, you could argue that the Red Sox have the edge not only in offense but in pitching as well. Yeah, I think you can make that argument. Um, and, you know, I tried to sort of take the other side with the Indians offensively, um, you know, just uh, – a little bit, to be honest, you know, devil's advocate there. Sure. Um, but uh, but I don't see a way that the Indians have – now, again, with base, it's, this is baseball, you know. Uh, who the heck knows uh, what's going what's gonna to actually happen. I was actually just watching a, a Red Sox uh, 2004 DVD the other day with my son. Um, and uh, Prime John, early, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. John Lieber, apparently, uh, you may or may not remember this. I actually do. John Lieber shutting down the Red Sox in the uh, American League Championship Series. In um, which year? 2004? 2004, yeah. He was with the Yankees. Hmm. Um, and uh, John Lieber, I mean, you know, John Lieber was a fine pitcher, but he, he wasn't a complete 
game shutout kind of pitcher. I mean, he didn't do that exactly, but but he anyway. The the point is, you don't know. Uh, a guy like Josh Tomlin could go out there and throw an amazing game. It, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. All of those caveats aside, the Red Sox have a, I would say, a much stronger starting rotation. Um, Kluber is excellent. Um, I'm questioning his his health a little bit. Um, you know, Josh Tomlin is average, kind of iffy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Clevenger, uh, I don't know much about him other than his numbers, which don't look good. Um, apparently, he is homer prone. Uh, he's very walk prone. Um, <laughs> those are a bad combination, by the way. You don't want those two. Um, and who else do they have lined up? Um, they've got a uh, Cole Bauer. Yeah, Bauer. Bauer's uh, going to go first, then Kluber, then yeah. uh, Tomlin, and then they they actually said that they're going to probably go back to Bauer on short rest if need be for Game Four, rather than pitch Mike Clevenger there, which oh, really? I'm okay. sure is still very up in the air, and yeah. that'll probably depend on how Bauer does in the first game. Um, but I mean, you're absolutely right. The the question mark with Kluber is how's he going to be after this injury? Is he going to be full strength, and then Bauer and Tomlin, well, probably above average pitchers can be pretty enigmatic at times. Yeah, I, I recall the Red Sox actually beating up on Bauer. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was this year or last year, but but uh, but he is prone to disaster starts. That's that's true. And um, it's worth noting that Bauer too has a 5.36 ERA here in the second half of the year versus 3.30 for the first half. So there could be some fatigue there, but also this is not the same guy that we saw kind of light the world on fire in the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't – you can be any – you know, some, some big Cleveland partisan, and I just don't see how you think that the Indians have the advantage here. I, I think, um, you know, you can make an argument the Indians – Bullpen, especially you know the, the the back end of it um, with you know with uh, Allen and and Andrew Miller, um, you know are excellent uh, and and better than uh, Koji and uh, uh, and Kimbrel, uh, who are both a little bit frightening. But I you know it's also partly the nature of the beast of relief pitchers, so they're frightening in that sense. Right. Um, but you know, and I, I I was looking up numbers before we were talking, and you know. Base running numbers favor the Indians by a little bit. Defensive numbers favor the Indians by a little bit. Um, but this is a huge, huge difference, I think, in the starting pitching. And so I think from a Red Sox perspective, what you would hope is that, you know, you can, you can start to really dig into the underbelly of the Indians bullpen in games one and two. Um, you know, put some put some runs on the board, whether you win both games or not, put, put some runs on the board and force the Indians to start digging into their pen. Um, and, uh, you know, and make, make the series difficult for them in that sense. Um, and, you know, the Red Sox offense is, is pretty good at doing that. Fouling balls off, taking walks, um, to say nothing of, you know, of, of actual hitting. So, um, I think, I think the Red Sox have a, have a sizable advantage here. Yeah. I mean, it looks like they're going to have to go to the well a lot in this series. We just talked about Trevor Bauer's issues that he's had in the second half. We talked about Kluber's injury. Now let's get to Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin was a good pitcher in the first half of the season. 100 innings through the first half, he had a 3.51 ERA. Mm-hmm. 74 innings in the second half, he's got a 5.59, and people are teeing off at him at a 2.83 clip with a 500 slugging percentage. Yeah. Um, well, this he just is... doesn't strike guys out, and he, 
you'll see if you, if you go over to the, you know, the Indians pitching page, pick your website, um, and you start going, going down the home run thing, you know, the, the Indians give up home runs. Their starting pitchers, especially, uh, are, are prone to home runs. Um, and I think that's, that's a sizable advantage, you know, for the Red Sox. Um, yes. Sorry to interrupt you, Jake. I've- no, no, no problem. Um, the one thing about Tomlin, though, is he is pretty much the same pitcher that he is home as he is away. So that shouldn't defect him too much, considering he's going to be pitching at Fenway. Um, but you, you have to see here that, you know, even like you said, the most ardent Indian fan needs to realize that um, every single one of the four Sox pitchers that are going to be going in this series, um, Buckholz, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, David Price, Rick Porcello, every single one of those guys has been pitching markedly better than they were in the first half and the second half. And with some of these guys, it's it's really drastic. Um, you know, Price is drastic. Porcello has been good all year, but even better in the second half of the season. Uh, and Eddie and Buckle, it's, it's night and day. It's barely comparable at all uh, how they've been pitching. So um, I, I think that Bauer at least has a a chance here to to stay in the game um, because he has been a better pitcher at home, at least on the season, 367 at home versus 473 uh, on the road. So he is going to draw a home start. And even though he's been struggling as of late, maybe he can uh, dial it up a little bit in the playoffs. But this is still a guy who's 25 years old, has no concept of how to pitch in the playoffs. And um, I think he's just going to be completely overmatched by Rick Porcello in this outing. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. You can certainly see that. I mean, I, one thing you would say uh, is it's not ideal that the Red Sox don't have home field here. I don't want to make too much out of that. I don't actually think it's that big a deal. Um, ultimately, it comes down to, you know, whatever the difference in home field is for one game, because the first four games are going to be split evenly, no matter how they're ordered. Um, but the Indian, uh, the Red Sox, as you noted, are very good. On the, both at home and on the road. It is worth noting, though, that the Indians are the best home team in the American yes. League, tied with that's, the Rangers. That's where I was going to go. So, yeah, the Indians yeah. are 53 and 28 at home, and they're just a hair over 500 on the road. So, um, you kind of wonder. I mean, I think a lot of this is is sort of noise uh, to some extent. Um, you know, we we know that teams are better at home by a little bit, generally speaking. Um, there's no real reason, especially in the playoffs where, where you have um, easier travel. Um, I, I think that lessens things a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like you're flying from, you know, L.A. to Chicago and you get in at, you know, 4.30 in the morning. You go to the hotel, sleep for three hours, and you get up and go to the ballpark for a day game. I mean, that the Red Sox literally had to do something almost like that. Um, you know, I, I forget if it was in August or something. Um, and... So stuff like that is not uncommon in a 162 game regular season played over whatever it is, 183 days or 180 days or something like that. Right, 31 days without a game off like the Red Sox had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gets ridiculous. Um, but um, in the playoffs, you know, we've got this three day break. Everybody gets healthy and they're you know and whatever. Then you, you're going to play two in Cleveland. Then there's an off day. Um, to fly to Boston, which is like, you know, a, what, two-hour flight? I mean, it's not a, it's Yeah, not it's a, nothing. Um, and uh, and then, you know, you play that, that next evening. So 
I think some of this is going to be uh, a little bit lessened. Um, that said, I'm, I'm hopeful the Red Sox can can take the first two in uh, in Cleveland and, and finish things up in Boston, not even have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. So decisive edge in offense, uh, and we think maybe even more of a decisive edge in pitching, it seems like, with with everything that's transpired. I think if you ask both of us, what the what the pitching would look like two months ago. This would have been completely flip-flopped, but I think the only thing that's really scary here is Corey Kluber if he's 100% and the very back end of that bullpen with Shaw and Miller, who are you know among the best in, in the league at those positions. But really, other than that, there's not too much that's really going to keep you up at night. And those guys are, you know, they can have an effect on the game if you put yourself in a position where they can have an effect, that's sort of the, you know, the, the thing about relief pitchers is, uh, it's not, if you're up five to two in the seventh inning, you know, go ahead, bring on Andrew Miller. We won't score that inning. We're going to be up by three though. So, right. um, it, it doesn't, it, it matters a lot less at that point. And, um, so, you know, the, the job for the Red Sox is going to be to, to get those runs off of, um, off the starting pitchers, uh, and then, you know, if they can knock one of those starters out quickly, um, you know, to, to start beating up on the, on the, you know, the, the, the weak part of the, of the Indians bullpen, um, don't put yourself in a position where the Indians are up one and you've got to face Andrew Miller. Um, that's not some place you want to be. No. No, absolutely not. Well, let's get to those other metrics that you mentioned real quick before we start going to the individual matchups here. Okay. Um, but uh, base running stats here, um, I'm going to use BRR, which is another BP stat. Cleveland grades out as the fourth best base running team in baseball. Um, Boston is the 11th best uh, in the field. Um, this is a little bit more up in the air depending on whose defensive metrics uh, you prefer. Um, Fangraphs has the Red Sox as the seventh best team defense in the league, uh, has Cleveland at fifth. Um, the BABIP for both teams is not up in the air. Um, the Indians have a 289 team BABIP, um, and the Red Sox have a 293 team BABIP. Um, but defensive efficiency, um, for baseball prospectus really does, uh, prefer the Indians here, um, 7-11 to 707, um, 6th place versus 12th place in terms of where they rank defensively in the league. So, um, I'm actually a little surprised by this, to be honest, like, I understand the, the the positions where the the Indians have a decided advantage, and in particular, it's that left side of the infield, um, with Lindor and Ramirez being massive defensive upgrades over what the Red Sox have. But I have to look at that Red Sox outfield and think if that was the t- the outfield that was there for the entire season with Benintendi in left, I I think that it would have been even closer. Than, than it is now. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Benintendi is, um, you know, upgrade over what the Red Sox have had, and I, I would actually make the argument that Ramirez at third for the Indians is not better defensively, at least by the numbers I've seen, um, than uh, than Shaw. Now he, I think he's much better offensively. Yeah, <laughs> we can agree on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of worried that. 
we're going to see an awful lot of Brock Holt in, in left um, in this uh, in this series. Although I don't know, maybe maybe Holt's going to play third. Do you think Holt's going to be the third baseman most of the time? Well, it seems like they're leaning towards a Hill Holt platoon in having Shaw be the off-the-bench guy. Um, that's the way that it's been trending for the last week. Um, so if I had to guess with recent trends, I'd say that Holt's going to get a lot more time at third than he does in left. And Ben Intendi has proven that he can hit yeah, really yeah, any and all pitching. He's been he's been very impressive. I think, yeah, I, I don't think there's, you know, other, other than the inexperience factor, and we've seen him make some inexperienced plays, but... Um, other than that, I don't think there's much, you know, many nits to pick there. Um, Holt still scares me, and I really have never loved him as a starter at any position. But, you know, we've been over this third baseman thing, you and I, Jake, and I, I think we're at the point where, uh, you know, they may not have a better option um, than uh, than Holt, at least at least offensively. I, I think I think Shaw is a little underrated defensively. He's not fantastic defensive third baseman but he's limited though he 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 can't he can't make all of the plays you know he's that that's the thing and we've gone over this before and i'll have to admit here on the forum now that i have you on again i was completely wrong about moncada's readiness level uh, when we last spoke and you were suggesting that shaw should should stay at the position Uh, you're absolutely right that that's what should have happened moncada doesn't know the game well enough yet he still has a lot of learning to do but I, I still stand by that fact that whoever they're going to put out at third base, whether it's an old Hill, uh, a Shaw who's limited athletically, or Holt who doesn't have the arm really to play effective third base, it's not going to be pretty anybody that they put out there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, you know, a, any of those guys could get hot. We've seen Shaw get hot since his, you know, his good start to the season for short periods of time. You know, we, we know Hill had a good start to the season with uh, Milwaukee. Um, and we've, you know, we've seen Brock Holt make the, the all-star team, you know. Uh, so any of those guys could start really hitting. But I think ultimately, yeah, that's that's probably uh, an advantage for the Indians there. So let's go ahead and start going position by position. Um, we're going to fire these relatively rapid fire. We'll we'll touch on the, the interesting ones that are a little bit closer, yeah. uh, a little bit more in depth here. But let's start with the catcher position. Um, just let me know who you prefer. I'll weigh in. You'll weigh in. You'll weigh in first. Um, catcher. We've got Sandy Leon versus some combination of Perez and Jan Gomes. Uh, who do you have here as the advantage? I think the Red Sox have the advantage, but um... – would it shock you if there were no catchers in this uh, series who got any hits at all? I mean, <laughs> no, no, especially with the way that Leon's been playing as of late. Yeah, I kind of worry that that the you know the the bloom is off that rose and we're we're back to Sandy Leon circa 2015. But but even if we are, that's more or less what the Indians have been starting all year. So um, it's it's either an advantage for the Red Sox or it's or it's break even. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent there with you. The Indians have had the one of the most miserable catching situations in all of baseball for pretty much the entire year. So I'm going to give the edge to the Red Sox here, but it is looking to be more minimal than it had been. That being said, if Leon can capture lightning in a bottle again and start hitting like he was for you know a month, month and a half uh, there in the season, this could be a pretty big advantage if his bat wakes up again. Yeah. 
Um, first base is a really interesting discussion. Hanley Ramirez, who's having one of his better years in a long time, versus Mike Napoli, who's right up there with his career highs and home runs right now with 34. Um, who do you give the advantage to here? That's tough. Um, I think it's pretty comparable. Um, I mean, I I feel like Hanley has been really streaky this year, um, but we've seen Napoli be really streaky, you know, back when he was with the Red Sox too. I don't think either of them are incredibly consistent. So it'll be uh, interesting to see, you know, which one of them is is sort of. I, I hate to pin it on a hot bat, but it's it's just. Uh, it's not really hotness so much as it is who is just, um, you know, doing things properly at, at the moment. You know, we if you remember back in whatever it was, 2014, I think, uh, you know, Napoli had a long stretch where um, he was not not performing well and, and, and having trouble with his, you know, with his swing and his stance. Um, and so there were all these, you know, little subtle tweaks and, you know, thousands of thousands of words written on, on all the different, uh, little changes Mike Napoli was making. And then, um, so, uh, I, I think ultimately though, Napoli is a, a little bit better, um, defensively, even though his numbers don't grade out great this year. My, um, I, I think he's a little bit better defensively than, than Hanley is. Um, I, I think it's pretty, pretty even though. Is that too much? Sorry. That no, too, no, like, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, in terms of offensively, I like what Napoli's been able to do this year with the 34 home runs, which is a career high. I just double-checked that. Um, in terms of his slash line, though, average OBP in slugging percentage, um, he does lag pretty far behind Hanley in yeah, a lot yeah. of those areas. Um, and, Strike him out a tremendous amount, too, 30% of the time. Right. And, you know, Mike Napoli almost 35 years old at this point, going to turn 35 at the end of October. Um, you've mentioned the one-year defensive numbers not grading out like they used to. Um, that's pretty noticeable. Yeah. Um, and Hanley has only committed four errors on the year and really taken to first base. So I think I'm going to give that there's a bigger advantage to Hanley's offense over Napoli than there is to Napoli's defense over Hanley at this point. So slight edge Hanley for me. Okay, I, I'm willing to buy that. Okay. Um, second base is maybe the most interesting, probably the second most interesting discussion that we're going to have here uh, all night, probably to Lindor Bogarts. But yeah, um, this, this is really interesting because we have Kipnis, who's arguably in his prime right now, versus uh, Dustin Pedroia, who's certainly in the twilight of his prime, um, but having one of the better years that he's had in many, many seasons, um, probably all the way back to 2013. Um, so who do you give the advantage to here? Again, I think this is really, really similar. Um, I, maybe you want to give Pedroia the advantage a little bit because he's played in the postseason a lot more, but I tend to think that that doesn't really matter too much, maybe outside of the first or second inning of the game, of the first game. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the way Pedroia has been hitting this year, um, especially since they moved him into the leadoff spot. I don't know what that has had to do with it, but, um, he's spraying the ball all over the place. He's hitting with, you know, with power. We see him, you know, jacking those, those shots down the left field line on those up and in pitches like he used to do back when, uh, you know, he was an MVP candidate perennially. Um, so I, you know, I, I love the way he's, he's playing, um, 
it's hard to pick against him. But I, I think it's pretty close. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go Pedroia here, and there are a couple reasons why. Um, Kipnis has the better counting numbers uh, in terms of home runs and stolen bases. Pedroia has the better slash line, OBP, uh, average. Um, So I think those kind of grade out to pretty equal. Um, Defensively, Pedroia is slightly better by most metrics. um, But the big thing that I'm going to go to is... Playoffs favor contact hitters, especially in big position, uh, big big points in the game, later later in the game, high leverage. Um, and Pedroia strikes out only 10% of the time versus double that for Kipnis. Um, so I think that game on the line, grind it out at bats, uh, Pedroia is probably the guy who you'd prefer to have in there rather than Kipnis. So I'm going to give the slight edge there. I, I agree uh, what you're saying. Uh, with what you're saying, I, I just don't know with the Indians' defense that that ultimately is going to make as much of a difference. Um, I guess I would say that you know the propensity to strike out um, by Kipnis could work it, you know to the Red Sox' advantage. So maybe in that sense, Kipnis' offensive numbers won't be quite as good. Um, and God, I love Pedroia. It's he's, hard. To, it's hard so to, good. Yeah, it's hard to pick against him really for anything. But uh, anyway, go ahead. Um, so next position, probably the most interesting um, of all of them I alluded to, Xander Bogarts versus Francisco Lindor. Uh, who do you have here in this you know, battle of excellent young shortstops and Hall of Fame hopefuls someday maybe? Yeah, it's really interesting because you know, Bogarts was hitting so well to start off the year um, and you know, then, then he went into that sort of extended slump. Um, in uh, you know, in in August and and in September too, he wasn't hitting all that well. So, I I think if you take the you know the numbers on the whole, I think it's it's pretty even. I think Bogarts is probably the guy I would favor at the plate, and Lindor I would favor in the field. Um, but the way Bogarts has been hitting recently kind of scares me. So uh, I think I'm going to give. Um, you know, Lindor, uh, a slight advantage here. I, I can't imagine you're going to agree with that. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to surprise you here. Um, I'm going Lindor too. Uh, and it's tough because Xander Bogarts is my favorite player in all of baseball. I love the way he plays, but let me just throw out some interesting things. Um, home runs and stolen bases. Um, if you combine the two, um, Lindor has 34 total. Bogarts also has 34. They're just in different areas. Slightly more power for Bogarts, slightly more stolen bases for Lindor. Slash lines for these guys across the board, nearly identical. In OBP, they're separated by just two points. Um, You're getting a very similar player at the plate, one in Xander Bogarts who's going to do a little bit more damage. Um, But it's the glove that's just the huge separator here. Bogarts makes most of the plays that he's supposed to make. Lindor makes all of the plays, including the ones that he's not supposed to make. And something like that, um, you've mentioned Bogarts' cold streak here in the second half. Um, Lindor's defense is immune to cold streaks. That's going to show up no matter what. Uh, so I think this is a pretty decided advantage for Lindor right here. Um, I think it's a little closer than that, personally. That's my opinion. But um, but I, I I do agree there is a, uh, an advantage in the field. I, I will say this, though. I've been impressed with Xander 
defensively this year. Um, you know, he's made he's made some errors. Everybody makes errors, um, but he's made some really nice plays too. Plays that a couple years ago I would have bet significant money against him ever being able to make. So um, I think. Um, It'll be it'll be interesting to see because I you remember 2013 when he came up the way he hit in the postseason yeah it was great yeah so I I think it'll be interesting to see if he's able to turn that back on um, you know he's capable of being a, a a series changing bat which I don't think you can say for Lindor um I, yeah I agree I, I think the upside is the the ceiling is higher for for um, for Xander and I'm actually looking looking to him to have a, a huge season next year. Um, for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah, I think he still ends up having the better career of the two guys because it's pretty apparent with baseball history. I mean, your glove's going to peak before your bat is. And we're such I, anthropologists, both of us. We, we are. but <laughs> It's shameful. <laughs> it, I, I'm not going to apologize for it because I, I honestly think that Francisco Lindor is not going to get any higher offensively with his ceiling than he has this season. Like, I I don't know if you remember the prospect reports when they came out, but this was a guy who was borderline talked about like a Jose Iglesias type player in terms of all glove, no bat. And the fact that he's been able to give the team what he has already is, I think, far and away better than anybody could have ever expected. Yeah, I mean, he's that's been you know like, like we talked about that's been a huge you know difference, um, you know something you probably wouldn't have counted on maybe in, at the beginning of the year for the Indians. So, um, but yeah, I think I think as far as as um, as this series goes, um, you're you're right. I think I think Lindor is is a is a better player to have, um, but you know maybe maybe Xander will do uh do 2013 again and and we'll look stupid. I hope we look stupid. I hope so too. Uh let's move on to third base. This one's going to go quick. The dumpster fire that is Red Sox <laughs> third base versus Jose Ramirez. Uh we won't really talk about this because we touched on both of those things already earlier in the show. Uh, I'm assuming both of us huge advantage Jose Ramirez here. Yeah, I mean uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Enough said. Left field, I think, plays out similarly to that in terms of favoring the Red Sox in this case. Benintendi versus Coco Crisp slash Rajai Davis, that little platoon that's going to go out there. Um, Benintendi is playing like one of the better, more experienced hitters in the league. Uh, Coco Crisp has an OBP of 302 right now. So uh, I think that tells you all you need to know. Coco's like 100 years old. Um, certainly favors Benintendi in my opinion. What say you? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, I kind of wonder, um, also how much playing time, um, Chris Young is going to get, you know, are they going to, are they going to just use him as a pinch hitter or is he going to get starts against, uh, left-handed pitchers? Um, I would bet he'll be a late game substitution against lefties frequently. Yeah, he, he might well be. Um, I don't, think the Indians have any left-handed starters. I believe that Tomlin, Kluber, and Bauer are all righties. Yeah, I think that's correct. So, um, But you c- couldn't you see him pinch hitting against Andrew Miller late in the game? Oh, oh God, yeah. I would imagine he's going to face Miller at least twice this series, if not more, and, and that, that could be pretty huge, the outcome of that. So, um, yeah, but, but I think... Uh, to the point that you brought up, um, I agree. I, I think Benintendi is is um, 
is 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 the better player um in this in the series for the series. All right, so let's move out to center field. We've got Tyler Naquin, who we've talked about, 25 years old, really enjoying a breakout season. Uh, through 116 games this year, for those of you who haven't followed him, he has 14 home runs, batting 296 with a 372 OBP. Um, the troubling thing about Nakin is he still strikes out a ton, 30% of the time, which is excessive. Uh, even by Jackie Bradley Jr. standards, who is <laughs> the person we're going to be comparing him to. Um, who do you think has the advantage here? Uh, it's interesting because Nakin just doesn't have that much experience and here's the other thing about him i mean he's as, as good as he's been offensively this year he's actually sporting a 411 babip yeah um, that is so excessive which yeah is a little crazy um you know the strikeouts to walks uh is not good the strikeouts themselves are bad um you know obviously he's got some pop or at least he he does in you know in the 116 games that he's played he's he's played well We'll have to we'll have to see how that works out, but um, I think I think going going forward, um, I would rather have I would rather have Bradley. I would definitely take Bradley defensively, and uh, I think uh, I think probably offensively as well. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, Bradley is the choice. He's got more power. He's better at taking walks. He strikes out less, uh, and his defense is worlds better at this point. I mean, we're talking about the best center fielder in baseball defensively versus a guy who's still learning the position. So even though Naquin's a great athlete, um, there's a lot more to it than that. So and there's, there's one other actually th- important thing that I want to, I want to bring up um, in the comparison between these two players. Um, have you ever seen Tyler Naquin ski? Ski? Yeah. No. Yeah, I haven't either, but we know Jackie Bradley Jr. is an excellent skier. <laughs> so. That's true. That's very true. We've seen, yeah, so I think that's I think that could be an important um, um, part of the series. Oh, nice. Yeah, I I could see that happening. That'll come into play later on for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's move to right field. Uh, this one is maybe as much of a joke as uh, <laughs> comparing Jose Ramirez to the dumpster fire. Probably more. Um, mm-hmm. Betts versus uh, Chisenhall. Um, I guess. Give me some commentary because I probably won't even make any on this. Um, yeah, I mean, Betts is an MVP candidate. He may win the award. Probably shouldn't, but he uh, he may. Chisholm Hall is a mediocre player who's not especially good defensively. Um, he's not without value, um, but uh, you know, he's he he doesn't compare to to Mookie. When you look up replacement level in the dictionary, there's a picture of Lonnie Chisenhall. I think he's a little better than replacement value. <laughs> I don't know. It's close. I mean, he doesn't walk. He doesn't have a tremendous amount of power. He's got a little bit. Um, you know, the defense is, like I said, isn't isn't really great. Um, but, you know, one way or the other, he's not – He's not the five-tool package that that Mookie is. Um, so I, man, I, I'm just hoping Mookie. I, I want I want to see one of these guys, and I, my money is sort of on Mookie. Just sort of turn it on. It, one thing that'll be sort of interesting, I think overall for both teams, because both teams are depending on on some young guys, um, is you know now that we're in the postseason, and you know we've played 
all of the whatever 25 games in spring training plus the 162 regular season games and now it's cold out and it's going to be dark out and it's and and the the season is on the line every night um seemingly and and so you mean it's, it's poppy gonna, time well it's definitely poppy time but i think uh, you know, the Red Sox have a bunch of, of really young players, bets included. And, you know, we do know that really young players sometimes tend to get tired at the end of the season. Um, you know, and that's that's true, I think, or could be true also of, of guys on the Indians. Tyler, Tyler Naquin comes to mind. Um, Francisco Lindor comes to mind. So it'll be interesting to see how these guys how these guys do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think those are some good points. There's a lot of young guys on both of these clubs and first time through the playoffs for a few of them as well. Yeah, right. Um, let's get to the last position here, uh, if you can call it that, DH. Um, we've got Carlos Santana, who's a very, very good hitter in his own right, versus the supreme leader, David Ortiz. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, forget Santana. Is there another DH that you would rather have? Like, go through history. Go ahead. No, there isn't. There isn't another DH in history that I'd rather have. But more importantly, uh, you could make an argument that there is nobody that you'd rather have up at the plate this year other than maybe Mike Trout than David Ortiz. Yeah, I agree. On a, on a per-at-bat uh, production level, he is right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Yep, Sox advantage here. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's um, run through the starters real quick. We kind of alluded to those. Uh, we both agree. Um, first matchup, Porcello versus Bauer. Uh, edge for Porcello there. Um, second starter, though, is where it gets interesting. Uh, David Price in the postseason versus Corey Kluber. Kluber coming off the injury. David Price with known struggles, and he has had a home run problem this year. Uh, how do you see this one going? Um, I think this is a, kind of impossible to predict just based on, since we don't really know what we're going to get from Kluber, right. uh, you know, based on the, you know, the injury he's recovering from, how healthy he is, um, how he's going to pitch, even if he is perfectly healthy with, with so much time off. Like, you know, it's been a while since he's actually pitched uh, in a game. Um and, you know, we have seen Price – I saw um, – we have seen Price struggle recently. Um, I, I saw a, a piece by the uh, fantastic Alex Spear um, talking about how the only real difference – I'm sort of putting words in his mouth, so um, this is not a quote at all. But uh, <laughs> but uh, w- one of the big differences, I should say, b- between uh, Price in 2015 and Price in 2016 is is the home runs given up. And um, you know, if if the Orioles are the team, you know, the Red Sox end up facing in the ALCS, that obviously could be a big problem. Um, I don't think the Indians are the team that's going to take advantage of that uh, weakness. I totally agree. They can't exploit it the same way teams like Toronto and Baltimore right. can. Right. Even, even a team like the Mariners or the Tigers, if they made it in, would have been able to exploit it much better. Yeah. I mean, just, just – uh, I wrote the numbers down here. Um, the Indians had 185 homers, which was a little below the median point. Um, the low was 122 by Atlanta. The high was 253 by Baltimore. Um and I think Baltimore was a good 20 or 30 ahead of the, whoever was in second place. Um, so, yeah, I, I think 
um, the Indians are not in a position to, um, you know, to beat up on David Price in the way that he's been, he's been beating up, uh, been beaten up this year. Um, so I, I'm going to give the advantage to, to Price in that, be, you know, because of that and also because of, you know, Kluber is, is kind of a question mark to me. So I'm going to go the opposite way on this, and I completely agree with you uh, on what you're saying about them not being able to exploit that weakness that Price has. But I still think that Kluber has been a better pitcher than David Price this year. And when we get into advanced metrics, Kluber and Price are extremely similar in terms of strikeout and walk rate and DRA and CFIP and things like that. But in terms of actually going out there and getting results, Kluber has been the better player. He's pitching at home. I think that Cleveland has to win and probably will win one of these two games at home. And I think if they're going to, it's going to be this one. And until David Price does do it in the postseason, I'm going to continue to think that David Price cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty much just put up or shut up for me for, for Price at this point. Uh, and I will happily eat my words just like I will with uh, – our Xander prediction of him being worse than Lindor in this series. So let's let's hope I'm wrong on that one. But I do hope you're wrong. I, I one more thing on this, I would point out that um, the Indians actually have a very balanced lineup. Um, their sort of normal lineup features three right-handers, three left-handers, and three switch hitters. Um, however, those three switch hitters, two of them, uh, Santana and Lindor, um, have been significantly worse especially Santana against left-handed pitching this year. Um, so uh, that may favor uh, a price a little bit, not necessarily over Kipnis, but, but may, uh, may help him a little bit in, in that start against the Indians. That's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, third and fourth starters. Uh, these are going to be interesting matchups as well. Who do you give the edge to Buckholtz at home versus Tomlin? Uh, I, I don't I don't know. Buckholz pitch has, has been sort of I feel like half the time he's just skating on luck and the other half of the time he shows up and he's got all his pitches working and I mean when he's got all his pitches working he is honestly as good as David Price or as good as Rick Porcello. Well, so, let me let me help you make a choice here, Matt. Let me give you some okay. numbers. Yeah. Um at home both Buckholz and Eduardo Rodriguez have been miserable. ERA is over five, over six in Eddie's case. Yeah. In the second half of the season, Buckholz has pitched to a 3.22 ERA. Eddie's pitched to a 3.24 ERA. Yeah. Tomlin and Bauer have not been particularly good pitchers in the second half of the season. Right. So use that information to make this choice. It's very. It can go either way with yeah, this. It could. Yeah. It could. I think it just depends on how um, you know how they're pitching in the moment. Um, but uh, I think the Buckholz Tomlin start is is closer than I'd like to admit. I th- I think again, uh, you know, Buckholz has the the higher ceiling, um, maybe also the lower floor. Um, as far as um, Eduardo Rodriguez goes, I I really like the way he's been pitching. Um, the strikeout, I mean, the, you know, the walks are, are, are there and they're a little concerning, but the strikeouts have been, you know, so prevalent that it kind of makes up for it. So, um, I'm, I'm very uh, optimistic that he can have a really good, a really good start and be a, be a big weapon for the Red Sox in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I, I think I favor Buckholtz and Eddie in these game three and four matchups just slightly. I'm going to ride the momentum here. I know that they've both struggled at home a little bit, but they have been better at home during these uh, second halves of the, of the year where they've really improved on their results. Um, so I think momentum favors those two guys. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, back to the bullpen, though. This is where it gets really interesting, and this is the last uh, comparison we'll do. But the, the trio of Kimbrel, Uihara, and Ziegler versus Allen, Miller, and Shaw um, – who do you favor in that head-to-head? I think I, I've been talking about you know ceiling uh, versus floor a little bit here with with a lot of these sort of guys, a lot of these matchups, and maybe that is just um, because I've been watching so much Red Sox games, and I you know I see I see the Red Sox when they're playing really well, and I see them when they're playing really badly, and so that could be just my bias there. Um, you know, Koji has been everything they could have hoped for and more since he's come back from injury. I have seen him throw pitches that I feel like probably should have been hit um, and weren't. So that is, you know, is a little concerning. Um, but I think ultimately uh, he's, you know, he's pitched incredibly well. The, the results have certainly been great. Kimbrell is terrifying. All the walks recently, I forget what the number is. It's like he's 15 walked- walks. Out of, uh, yeah, I mean, he's walked 15 guys in, in the last, whatever it is, 11 innings. I, something awful like it's a that. nightmare. Yeah, the walks have just got to go. And, I mean, on one hand, I heard that he said that he wasn't really worried about it, and that makes me happy. I'm glad he's not worried about it. I don't want him to freak out. Um, I want him to have confidence and to get out there and, and you know and throw the pitches that he needs to throw. Um, and we've seen how good he can be when he's on. So... Hopefully he's on. If he is the if he's the mess, man, you you can't afford to blow games in a five game series. You can't get up four to two in the ninth inning and then go out there and walk three or four straight guys. That's you're not going to win the series. Um, yeah. I mean, so I don't want to put the whole series on him. Obviously, it's not. He's one player, although an important part of it. But um, but if he's not if he's not pitching decently he doesn't even have to be craig the amazing kimbrel he just has to not be he needs to limit the damage he needs to not pull his pitches yeah Yeah. so uh ultimately i i think um you know the indians have the best reliever uh in in andrew miller here um and uh you know i but i think i think the overall uh overall comparison it's pretty close it's just going to depend on on which craig kimbrel we get yeah, I, I think in my eyes, there's a, a bit of a decided edge um, here for the Indians. Uh, I think Miller is better than Kimbrell, even if Kimbrell's good Kimbrell. Um, I think that uh, Allen is somebody who has fewer question marks than Uihara does at this stage of his career. That's not to say that on a game-by-game basis, Uihara uh, can't be better. He absolutely can. He's Still got one of the filthiest pitches in all of baseball uh, when it's working correctly, but is that going to work correctly for an entire playoff series? Uh, I'm not sure. I think Ziegler matches up just fine with Shaw, but ultimately um, Kimbrel's walks scare the crap out of me. Um, I haven't really 
been a fan of him this season. I was a fan of the trade when it went down. Uh, I know that you weren't. You thought they paid too much. Um, I'm now thinking that the Red Sox shouldn't have made this trade. Uh, I know that he was great for like a month and a half, and the the numbers over the course of the year still bear out to be pretty good, but I just can't help but think that bad Kimbrell's going to show up in a spot where we just cannot afford to have him show up, and that's going to be something that kills the Sox. No, I I agree, and um, I think there's there's a couple other. It'll be interesting to see, you know, which Kimball shows up, and and if it's bad Kimball, how quickly Farrell runs away from it. You, uh-huh. Did you notice that Farrell said he's not going to make a move at this time when he was asked if he was going to take him out of that closers role? Yeah. I think that there is a distinct possibility that if Kimbrell doesn't get these walks under control very early on in this series, that you're going to see Koji switch back to that ninth inning role because he's the guy who's on fire right now. You know, it wouldn't shock me. Um, and I, again, I think it's going to be on Farrell to, to be paying attention and, and, and be, be decisive and quick about it. Um, I mean, the Red Sox actually enter the postseason with some decent depth in the bullpen. I mean, we talked about how well they've been pitching recently, but, you know, you could be talking about, you know, adding Drew Pomerantz uh, to the pen, depending on, I mean, he looked filthy out of the pen. He looked the great. Pen. And Heath Embry's um, looked unbelievable, too. Hembry's looked good. Joe Kelly, bizarrely, Joe Kelly has looked really good. Still uh, scary. He still gives up hits when the game's on the line, a la Teixeira. I mean, but... the, the the walks and, and strikeouts have both uh, been in, in a great place for, for Kelly. Um, right. he, he gives up. You know, hard contact. He's not a one ERA guy. Some, uh, you know, hard contact sometimes. He's not a one ERA guy, but he, but he's, you know, since going into the pen, his numbers have looked pretty good. Um, so I, I'm optimistic that if Farrell doesn't, you know, choose the the Kimbrel Hill to die on, um, that the Red Sox can, you know, if if that needs to be, um, you know, can uh, can move away from that without without too much damage. It's putting a lot of faith in John Farrell, that's for sure. He's the manager, man. It's, it's up to him. That's actually a, something you didn't write down. Um, His manager, I know. Tito versus uh, Farrell. I, it's funny because I, I used to feel like, uh, you know, in, in 2004, I remember thinking, uh, you know, doing this comparison with the Yankees and then with the, um, you know, with the Angels and, and obviously with the Cardinals as well. And, and But feeling like the Red Sox had the advantage, you know, in the manager's seat every time and again in 2007 and i feel like they really did i mean francona managed the hell out of those those series uh and um and occasionally you know ran ran circles around around his competition certainly around um you know joe tory back then i think mm-hmm. um and i you know we've seen john farrell in the postseason and you know it's it's hit or miss and sometimes you know sometimes there are some some real head scratchers there so Anyway, um, I think I would give the Indians the uh, the advantage, you know, in the in the manager seat there. Yeah, them. I so. totally agree. I think Tito is certainly the the better strategic manager, and every bit as good with the players as John Farrell is, possibly even better. And, uh, and you know, you know, he would love to beat to beat the Red Sox. At this oh point. yeah, he would. He would love that. He would. Uh, he would. He would rub it in their face big yeah. time. The yeah. smear campaign that happened to him was was very unfair, but that's a tale for another time. It is, it um, is. But lastly, I wanted to get your prediction in this series, Matt. 
I'm going to go Red Sox in one. I think they uh, in one. They win all three games in the first game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I I, I think um, you. Yeah, I think I think the Red Sox in four is is uh, is a good one. I think that's that's probably the way. It, 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 certainly, that's you know. I mean, when you look at this sort of thing, right? You're looking at starting pitching. Right. The advantage of starting pitching. And then you sort of build in a little bit on either end, you know, for the offense and the defense mm-hmm. um, and, and the bullpen and move move things around. But I think ultimately the Red Sox have such an advantage in the starting pitching department um, in the, you know, really four out of the five games likely um, that uh, that you, I, I think they're going to win. Uh, three out of the first four in in some order. Um, and if they beat if they beat Kluber in game two, the Indians are just sunk. Yeah, I completely agree. I have them winning in four as well, uh, losing that second game to Kluber. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a there's so many advantages in the Red Sox favor, and we went through all of them with the Indians really only uh, winning the favorite uh, matchup at shortstop third base. Um, Kluber potentially versus Price, and then with those back three in the bullpen, again, potentially there. Um, so they don't have decided advantages the same way that the Red Sox do. So it's going to be a good series, one that the Red Sox absolutely should win. Um, before we get off, I'll just note that I think that the Texas Rangers are probably pretty concerned right now because whoever wins that wild card game is a team that I think they want nothing to do with, whether it's Toronto or Baltimore, a team yeah. that could definitely go into Texas and beat them. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how things shake out. Uh, I think that that game, um, the the wild card game between Toronto and Baltimore, the starters were announced for that, Stroman versus Tillman. Um, Stroman at home, huge advantage there, but could pretty quickly become a bullpen game for the Baltimore Orioles, which is their strength. So, again, I think anything could really happen in that uh, yeah. situation. But it's going to be super interesting to see who comes out of the AL. But uh, really everybody uh, around baseball is saying that the Red Sox are the team to beat in the American League. I agree with that. Uh, and I also think that their offense is the single biggest advantage that any team has in the postseason right now. Um and I think that's a good place to be. It's very Red Sox of them to have a juggernaut offense. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that the, uh, you know, in a way, the Indians are actually a bad matchup because that that kind of minimizes their their offensive advantage. Uh, but then again, the you know the the injuries that the Indians have had in the starting pitching help maximize it too. So I, I you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Go Red Sox. <laughs> Go Red Sox, indeed. So thanks, everybody out there for listening. You can follow us uh, and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. You can also do so on Stitcher. Uh, you can also submit questions to us via question box on the Red Seat Podcast link on the BP Boston site. Um, you can follow Matt on Twitter, again, at MattyMatty2000. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at DevJake. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and thank you, Matt, for joining me today. Your commentary was excellent as usual, and uh, let's go Sox. Let's go Sox. It's time for some straight talk. It's tax refund time. Hallelujah. What are you going to do with all that glorious extra cash? A new drone? No, it'll end up in the tree. 
Here's a better plan. Try Straight Talk Wireless and get 25 gigs of high-speed data for just 45 bucks a month. All on America's best 4G LTE networks. Plus, save up to $200 on a Samsung Galaxy S9 with in-store activation. Straight Talk Wireless, only at Walmart. See terms at straighttalk.com. 